You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Why don't you turn over again, well, not again, but turn over to Romans chapter 5 this morning. We're going to spend most of our time on these verses. I'll add a few to them, but we're still talking about hope talking about the fact that God has given us an ever-living, the Bible says an ever-living hope. It is an eternal hope. It is a hope that is alive. It is a hope that has both its source and its object in God. We've talked about this. This is our third week now. We've laid a lot of foundation. I want to look at some more verses and talk to you about the fact this morning that what, you know, um, first of all, and I think I said this last week or sometime, we are designed to live in hope. We're designed by God to have hope in our lives. And if you just think about how people do when they don't have hope, people literally die from not having hope. Some people will commit suicide from not having hope. Others, if they're, you know, doctors will tell you that with a cancer patient, it's so important that they have hope. It actually affects us physically, just like so many uh, spiritual characteristics do. We're designed for them. And so the fact that Jesus, we were, it says we were born again into an eternal, ever-living type of hope that's completely different. We, we've said it over and over. I'll just quickly again. The, the word that's used in the New Testament for hope is not the same as what we generally think of as hope. It's not doubtful wishing. It is confident expectation or anticipation of the promise of God being fulfilled. It is confident. It, it's a place for faith to work. It is a vision. It is seeing God's will coming to pass in our lives and living in anticipation of that. So I want to talk to you today about the fact that until we get into our hearts, get this truth really down in us and have an awareness of what Christ has done for us and what his work, the position that we hold in him now and who we are in him. All right, until we get that in our heart, it's going to be very hard for us to have this eternal kind of hope working in our lives. It is a foundation for having a continual hope regardless of circumstances working in your life to understand not just I'm forgiven, but what does that mean? What is our inheritance? We're not going to go into all of this, but I want you to see some of this foundation. God has given us a whole, I don't, I don't have a an adequate way to say this, but it's like he's put a whole toolbox of spiritual truths together that work with hope and hope works with them. And we're going to see a few of them here this morning. So we're going to start here in uh, Romans chapter five, and we'll just begin with verse one. We're going to look at the first four verses if we have time this morning. So I'm going to read down through those first of all. I'm reading right now from the NIV. It's, it's good in every translation. But it says, therefore, since we have been, get this, we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since this has happened, we now have this, okay? Verse two, through whom, through Jesus, 
we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So let's go back to verse one and let's tear this down a little bit. And I'm I actually, do I have the Amplified up there? Yeah, I should just switch over so I don't confuse myself. Um, so in the Amplified Bible, again, it says, therefore, since we have been justified, that is, or that means acquitted of sin, declared blameless before God, by faith, let us grasp the fact that we have peace with God and the joy of reconciliation with him through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. So really the first step in maintaining hope is to accept this truth about your position in Christ. Something has been done in Jesus and you accepting his work that is unchangeable. And the scripture tells us here that we have, when we put faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, we trust him as our savior. We give ourselves to him as our Lord, right? When that happens and we are born again, the scripture first says we are justified in God's sight. That is, a, that is a legal term. It is a term that was justified. It is a legal term. It's a term that was, would be used in a court of law to say, you have been acquitted. You have been declared not guilty. You have stood before a judge and an accuser has come forward and accused you of a crime and all everything's been looked at and you have been declared not guilty. You go free. All right, and all of that, that has happened in the heavenly court for every one of us when we put our trust in Jesus. It's not about our works. It doesn't mean, see, this is the thing. In the earth, if we committed the crime, if we did the crime, then we should do the time, right? But Jesus did the time for us. Jesus took the full weight of our punishment for our sin, for everyone's sin upon himself and made available this place of justification. And, and this is when, when we realize that we are justified, it's like if you did go to court and they looked at everything and they said, you are not guilty, go free. Would you go out of there and live the rest of your life with a guilty conscience about what you were accused of? You wouldn't. You would leave the guilt behind. There, there would be no place for it in your life. There would be no place for accusation and condemnation in your life. And what we have to get in our hearts, because, you know, here we are, we still sin. But that's got nothing to do with it. Our justification is based on Jesus' justification. The reason for that is because the whole New Testament calls us, talks about us, as it, it gives us this position, it says, we are in Christ. You give yourself to him as Lord. From then on, when God looks at you, he sees you in Christ. He sees you in the same position 
and relationship with him in the same new life that Jesus Christ has. This is stated all through the New Testament. And I would recommend to you, as we talk about this today, we'll see a few, but I would recommend to you, if you've never done this, or if you have, do it again, go through your Bible and highlight every place that it says things like, in Christ, in him, with him, with Christ, through Christ. There are all these statements. Go to the first, just to practice, go to the first two chapters of the book of Ephesians and look at all the things that it says are yours now because you are in Christ. It totally changes your perspective. You come out uh, realizing that I can accept these things. I don't deserve these things. They're mine by grace. They are a free gift to me. I don't have to deserve them. I, and, and see, people get worried that, well, if I take that attitude, gee, then, you know, I'll, I'll just start running out and sinning if my sin doesn't matter. Eh, not if you have an actual relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's your attitude, that, hey, the judge said I could go, so I am going to go do the crime. You know, if that's your attitude, you need an attitude adjustment. But when we get the, the weight of what is promised to us that we all know we don't deserve, but it is ours in Christ, when we get that weight, just the forgiveness part, just the you're not guilty part is huge. It changes our hearts. If you're approaching this in the right way, there's no way that drives you to sin. That actually leads you to repentance. Knowing that mercy from God leads you to repentance. It breaks your heart. It leads you into, it makes you much more comfortable having relationship with him. You can come before him at any time. Even when we have sinned, we get to come before him and we get to repent and we get to turn around and we get to receive that mercy and that forgiveness. It changes our whole attitude. And so I really, I'm, I'm serious. I don't care if, you know, you use a paper Bible or you use, you know, I don't even know, can you highlight things in online Bibles? Can you? I don't, you know, I have, oh, are you scratching? Are you waving at me? Oh, <laughs> She's doing this. I'm like, um, yeah, I've got my Bibles on all of these, but it's a, it's a package that I've had for years and years. So I can highlight anyway. Go and find those verses and meditate on Let's, okay, let's go over to Ephesians chapter one, just for a second. Let's just look at this. This is such an important thing for you to, to get and to do if, if you've never done this, or like I say, even if you have, um, uh, let's just go down to verse three and let's just start here. It says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, <laughs> this is fairly big, has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Because we are in Christ being blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing belongs to us. It's already done. It's always this past tense. God has done this. He has justified you. He has blessed you. All right, verse four, for he chose, he chose us in him. He chose us in him. We are accepted in him. He knew what decisions we were gonna make. He chose us and he chose us in Christ. So again, he's looking through the blood of Christ. 
And he's welcoming us into his presence. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. All that's in Christ. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus. All right, highlight through Jesus. This is mine. Okay, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Everything we have, it's because we're in Christ. It's because we're in Christ. We could go on, we could read, and I'd encourage you especially, uh, it's just a good place to start and get it and learn about it. Ephesians chapter one, Ephesians chapter two, thing after thing after thing that is yours today right now in Christ. So you should receive that. You should receive it freely. You didn't deserve it. You never will. It's by grace. You say, thank you, Father. And you receive it and you start allowing it to change the way you live. And until you do that, it's going to be really tough to live with this eternal hope, to get up out of the garbage that goes on in everybody's life and all around us and disappointments that happen on the earth to get our focus up out of that and realize that's not even where I live. Yes, those things are important and I have a role in them and they're real and they're here. I'm not denying that these things are happening, but I'm in Christ and I'm going to be in Christ for eternity. I'm going to be in Christ. So Whenever, when anybody puts their faith in Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross, we're justified. Justification, okay, declared not guilty, ushers us into a condition, a position, really, that the Bible calls righteousness. And it doesn't mean perfect behavior. It means right relationship with God. We have right relationship with God in Christ. We are included in Jesus Christ's relationship with his Father. We are right there with, that is called righteousness, right standing with God, right relationship with God. You have it now today, even when you sin, it doesn't go away because unless Jesus sins, this isn't gonna change. And how many of you are fairly certain that's not going to happen? Okay, just checking. All right, so there's three words and I don't wanna spend a lot of time on this, but justification, is an important word for us to understand, declared not guilty. Sanctification or holiness in this, in this context, again, doesn't mean perfect behavior. It means separated from one thing and separated unto. It means because we've been justified, we have now been, God has separated us unto himself. We are his family. We are his children. We belong to him. And it is, it is a fixed truth in Jesus Christ, justification, sanctification, and then the term righteousness. And those three all go together. We have a right relationship with God because of Jesus. We have free access to God because of Jesus. We can come face to face with God because of Jesus, because of we are in him. Are you getting that? You're getting that part? All right. So all of that is what allows us to, Hebrews 4.16, come boldly with courage, boldly, before the throne of grace to receive, to receive what we need at any given time. When these things are at work in our heart, then if things are going wrong on the earth, we have this foundation where we know, you know what? I might have even caused the problem I'm facing, 
But I don't have to lose hope because I have this position in Christ. I can go to the throne of God's grace. I was thinking about that phrase when I was going through this this week. The throne of grace. The throne of grace. What is, I I love that definition of evil that Annie gave us. Those things that we would carry, those things, offenses and annoyances and things like that. And, And the first one was labors. It was works. You know, we're trying to earn it again. And the throne of grace, if I'm coming to the throne of grace, that means grace is on a throne in my life. In other words, grace is ruling The temptation to fall back into works is not ruling. Grace is in charge of my attitude. Grace is in charge of my approach to God. And remember, you know, we say this very often, grace certainly does mean, it absolutely means, undeserved favor from God. Undeserved favor from God. And we're going to see that in this next verse. Undeserved favor. But it is also a flow within grace. There is, and this is straight out of the Greek terminology, there is a flow of God's ability. That's why the same word is used to describe the gifts of the Spirit. When a, when a gift of the Spirit is in evidence and, and we have a word of knowledge or we have a gift of faith or a gift of healing or any of those things, discerning of spirits, any of those gifts, when those are in evidence, it is a manifestation of God's ability there. It's not just an enhancement of our ability, it's God's ability working through us. That's true across the board. Grace releases the ability uh, of God to bring about what it's focused on. And so it's, it's really important for us to realize and to have that in our hearts that, you know what, I'm coming before the throne of grace the throne where God's grace is at work. And, and that means I'm coming without any sense of condemnation. The accuser has been told to bug off. The accuser has been told that's, that sin's forgiven. I don't even, you know what? I don't even remember that sin because it's been washed completely away by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's God's position on the whole thing. So the, so the verse we just read, it says in, in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, since we are justified by faith, let us grasp the fact that we have peace with God and the joy of reconciliation to hold and enjoy. That's in the Amplified uh, Classic Bible. We have this peace with God because of everything we just described, we need to grasp the fact we have peace with God. We're not at war with God. He's not mad at us. It's all done in Jesus. And so we can approach him boldly. We have this access that the next verse is going to talk about. And we have this joy of reconciliation, of the relationship being made right. That's what reconciliation is. There's a joy in all of that, that we, we have and that we can hold and enjoy. It's okay. It's actually recommended for us to enjoy our salvation and to be blown away by it day after day after day that, God, you love me so much that you could do this. It's amazing. I don't deserve it. Yep, nobody does. He did it anyway, okay? 
when that truth, the things we were just talking about, of what Christ has done for us. Remember last week we talked about the fact that truth has to displace a lie for our hearts to be changed. So this truth that we are justified, that we are sanctified, that we stand in righteousness, that we can approach the throne of grace, all of that, we have this reconciliation, we can let that joy flow, all of that, that needs to displace the condemnation which means de- being declared unfit for use. doesn't just mean I felt guilty about something. We've said this many times. The Holy Spirit does convict us at times. It, and he says, that behavior needs to change, but he's right there with us. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't say, you're no good, you're unworthy, you're not part of my family. Those things, if you've got those in your head and your heart, they need to be displaced by the truth because if you're a Christian, they're lies. They're absolutely lies. And, and they'll prevent you from coming to the Lord and receiving his mercy and, and that mercy leading you to a complete turnaround in repentance in your life. And so until those things displace that accusation, it's very hard for us to live in peace and joy and hope, even though they're ours. Does this make sense to you? Okay, let's go to the next verse. All right. Verse 2, I love this verse. It's one of my favorite 5,000 verses in, in the whole Bible. Okay, How does it start? Through him. Did you underline that one? Through him. So this is another thing we have in Christ. Through him, we also have, past tense, access by faith. I love the way the Amplified says this. By faith into this remarkable state of grace in which we firmly and safely and securely stand. Wow. We, through him, in him, we have access, all right, to this state of grace. Grace for us is, it's an environment. It's a, it's a, it's a condition. It's an environment in which we live. It's the air that we breathe. It's a culture in which we live. It is, it is, it permeates everything, every place, every breath that we take can be a breath of grace. We stand in this state of the favor of God. Again, we don't deserve it. Jesus purchased it, gave it to us. And it says that in that place, we firmly and safely and securely stand. It's where we live. So don't let the devil throw you off of it. You're going to have a hard time staying in that eternal hope until you get in your heart that, you know what? The favor of God. And it always comes out. I don't deserve this. Nope. Receive it anyway. It's a gift. You got to receive the gift. Open the gift. Take the gift with you. Wear the gift. Live in the gift. Eat the gift. Whatever. I don't know what, you know, what kind of gift it is. But take it and let it permeate your life. It is a gift, but it always comes up. And and daily, we can take time, we can think about, you know what? I stand in a state of favor with God. It is a remarkable state of grace. All right. And so it says, we have access. That word access was a word that was used uh, like in the palace of a king or or whatever. It is a right to approach a monarch. 
It is the freedom and the, the right to approach a king. It is the right to walk right in. You think about it, you couldn't, well, even today, you can't just walk into the Oval Office. You can't just walk in. You couldn't just walk in to a monarch's place and to his throne unless you were given this access. And that's what this, that's what this word described at the time. It is a right of approach for us into the presence of God. It is something that ushers us into God's presence. It's a condition or a right of free access. Those of you who are parents, think about it. Your kids have free access into your presence. They have freedom to come to you and to crawl up in your lap. It's freedom of access. And it says, we have this access by faith into God's grace. Now that certainly means that when we make Jesus Lord of our life, we are ushered into this new position of free access and that that ushers us into that state of grace. But it also on a practical basis means when I, that faith, confidence in God in my heart always accesses that flow of divine favor and that flow of his ability that is contained in grace. Does that make sense to you? Did you get that? It's like when I plug into one of those outlets, I am plugging in to something that's already there. I'm plugging into the power that's in that outlet. It's the same kind of deal. My faith accesses grace. Faith is the spiritual quality that, that takes hold of what grace provides and receives it. Okay? Um, you can just write this one down. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. Ephesians 3, 12. It says, among other things, it says, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. That is, our faith gives us sufficient courage to freely and openly approach God through Christ. All right, it's Ephesians 3, 12. We already quoted Hebrews 4, 16. Uh, tells us to approach the throne of grace, God's favor, uh, in confidence and without fear and receive, the Amplified says, an appropriate blessing coming just at the right moment. Okay, so, so faith accesses grace, all right? And faith comes as we spend time with God. It comes, the Bible says, by hearing him speak to us. It comes as he imparts things into our heart. Faith is birthed on the inside of us. You don't have to work it up, okay? Um, so, that, so the verse back in Romans 5, 2 that we're in, it goes on and it says, it says that faith accesses the grace in which we stand, all right? And then it says, let us rejoice in our hope and the confident assurance of experiencing and enjoying the glory of our great God and the manifestation of his excellence and power. So it says, so this quality starts to invade our life at this time. Hope is maintained. How do I maintain hope? Well, one of the keys is rejoicing. It says, let us rejoice in our hope. Again, what is hope? Hope is that it, it's that it sees the promise of God being manifested to us. It sees what is not evident to us yet. It is that confident, it has this expectation going all the time 
of what God has provided, what our inheritance is, who Christ is, what his purpose is for me. All these things are tied to it. And it keeps us connected to all of that. And so the scripture tells us rejoice in that hope. You want to maintain hope and not let it just die out and come and go. Rejoice. And in the New Testament, are you still with me? That word rejoice means to boast or to brag out loud about God, about what God has done, to boast or to brag out loud. So this rejoicing, you have this hope and it's seeing, wow, I'm just expecting, look what God said is mine in Christ. And I'm expecting that to come to pass. I'm just living in this condition. And, and in that, I start bragging on who God is, on what he's done in the past and he will do again, on on his magnificent mercy and grace, on all of those things. And that hope shows you the picture for the rejoicing and the rejoicing keeps hope moving. It keeps it uh, alive in your heart for, for lack of a better term. It means, so rejoice means to boast or to brag out loud. It means to tell someone about your hope. It means to loudly praise God out of the hope that he plants in your heart. If you're too embarrassed to do that in front of people, start out doing it in private. But loudly praise God out loud. We've got to be able to hear you, okay? Out loud. It makes a difference. I don't know why. But we're just designed this way when we begin to do it out loud and we begin to praise out loud and we begin to rejoice out loud about God, it changes us. It absolutely changes us. In the Old Testament, rejoice means to, I love this, to joyfully gloat about the goodness of God. Oh, I don't want to gloat. You're supposed to gloat. You're supposed to gloat. And especially toward the devil, right? Because he lost you. He's, he's pathetic in comparison to what Jesus Christ has done. If you have the devil on the same level of God in your head, that's another one that needs to get displaced. He's not anything like God. We give him way too much credit. It means in the Old Testament to shout. The Psalms are full of rejoicing. To shout, to cry out in praise, to dance, to spin, to throw your hat in the air. Those are the ideas in in the Hebrew word for rejoice. And there's more. There's there are a bunch of Hebrew, Karen could tell us for quite a while, because it's so involved with praise and with worship, this rejoicing. It maintains hope in our heart. It flows from hope and it maintains hope. Okay? So basically, this verse, and this is just kind of my translation of what it says here, this in, in um, Romans 5 2. It says, Through faith, we stand in this permanent state of favor and divine flow. And as we're standing in that place, we naturally rejoice in the confident expectation of experiencing God's glory. And God's glory is that it's the very, it means the very essence of his nature. It means the qualities that make God, God. And and we are to experience those now. This isn't all just for heaven. This is for now. When we get to heaven, we, don't, we won't need uh, the free access. We won't need, I mean, we'll have it. It's, it's all there, you understand? So, so here in this world, this is where we're supposed to live, all right? Let me read this verse to you, Romans 5.2 from the Passion Translation. All right, it says, 
our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness that has, been, that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. All right, let's see if we can get through another verse. We're running low on time. All right. So in verse three, it says, not only so, it's, it's like, wait, there's more. You know, I mean, you know, you read those first two verses and that's enough for me to chew on for about six months. And then verse three says, wait, but wait, there's more. But it says, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character goes back to hope. So let's dig this out because this is one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. So again, we're supposed to rejoice in our sufferings. We're supposed to brag on God, boast loudly on the goodness and power of God under the influence of joy. All right. Even when things aren't going right in the midst of challenges in this earth. The term sufferings, you've heard this a lot of times, is the Greek word philipsis, and it means crushing weight. It means to be pressed. It means to be compacted. It means to be crushed. It means to be squeezed. It means to compress beyond reason. Okay, and our circumstances, right, can feel that way. We can feel so pressed and so overwhelmed by things. That's what it's talking about, going through life in that way. And it says in that place, we should be able to rejoice because we're rejoicing in God, not about the circumstance, right? And it says here in this particular translation, it says, we know that suffering, being pressed, going through this thing, it says here, produces perseverance. I'm going to argue with that, the way we understand that, okay? You can't argue with the Bible. No, we just misunderstand what it says. This word that is translated in this particular, that's the NIV, produces. This word, if you look it up, it does not mean that, that uh, crushing pressure creates perseverance. It just doesn't mean that. What it means is that it's, it's a word that means to put something to work. Listen to me now, because most of your friends have this wrong. It means to put something to work. Okay, It is a word that was used in the gymnasium of putting muscles to work. So there's something already there. When I go to the gym, even me, there are... There are muscles in my body, okay? They're not like they used to be, but there are muscles in my body. And, and when I go and I start to lift weights or do whatever, run or whatever, I'm putting something that's already there to work. That's what this verse is talking about. And those muscles will grow, okay? But I'm putting it to work. If it were true that just suffering, just pressure caused or created endurance and perseverance, we would all be the most enduring, persevering people on the planet. It's not what it says. It says that when we go through something like that, it will give, it will activate. Here's another part of the definition to activate or exert one's powers and faculties. So God has already put, when you were born again, something on the inside of you, and the Bible calls it 
perseverance or patient endurance, all right? God has already put that on the inside of you. And what it does is when crushing pressure comes against you, it works against the crushing pressure and instead releases rejoicing because it's connected to God. All right. And this is just a, it's one of those. And I know most of you have heard this from me a bunch of times. Too bad. You're going to hear it again. It's one of my favorite things. So Philipsis, crushing pressure, is not the source of perseverance. It's what activates the quality of perseverance that God has put on the inside of you. Does that make sense to you? All right. And so this this term, and we'll just quit with this, this term, perseverance, or some of your Bibles say patient endurance, uh, it's found throughout the New Testament. It is the Greek word hupomene, all right, hupomene. It means the ability to stand under, all right? It is, again, it's, it's a resistance. It is something that will deal with pressure. It will rise up on the inside of you. And it, so it's the ability to bear up under or endure pressure from circumstances, specifically from circumstances. It is the quality of character that does not allow the believer to surrender to pressure or trial. This is the definition of this word. And it is, it is released, it is activated when pressure comes against you. Well, how come I don't feel that way? Because you probably didn't know this. We've got to get it in our heads that God's not, some of us have learned to, if pressure comes against us, we think it's God's will, number one. And we think, number two, that, oh, you know, this, this terrible calamity in my life is supposed to, by itself, produce perseverance. No, we need to release what God has already put on the inside of us. We need to rise up in it and say, hey, wait a minute. I have on the inside of me, I don't feel it right now, but on the inside of me, there's perseverance. And I'm going to start to rejoice in God. And this thing's going to inflate on the inside of me and it's going to push back and it's going to release gloating about how good God is. Does this make sense to you? It keeps you in a place of hope. All right, I got to finish this. So I'm going to read this to you. Some of you have heard it a number of times. Trenches, uh, synonyms in the New Testament compares these different words and it talks about this one and this is what it says. It says, in this noble word, the word perseverance, hupomene, there always appears the background of courage to endure courageously as, as opposed to to flee cowardly. Okay, so this is the way it works in the New Testament. It is not merely enduring or sustaining or even patience but perseverance, pushing forward in the face of pressure. It is a courageous endurance with which the Christian, get this, I love this, contends against the various hindrances, persecutions, and temptations that fall him in both the inward and the outward world. This thing rises up in you and it contends against. It doesn't say, oh, okay, this must be your will, God. I'll just... You know, let the roof fall in and, you know, it contends against, all right? This is in you. It's in you. I promise. It's in you. Uh, continue. Who pomene holds contempt for the goods of this world. In other words, I don't love the stuff of this world more than God. And so this is activated in me. And it produces the brave acceptance of afflictions with the giving of thanks. 
filled with steady, I'm sorry, with steadfast loyalty and esteem for God. So that, get this phrase, in that in no way does the believer allow himself to be shaken or weakened or hindered from performing his own work or task. The, new, the first century church, and you read about this, so they got born again, and then they came into this all this persecution, I mean getting burned at the stake type persecution. Nero literally lit his garden and had parties with Christians burning on stakes. And they discovered hupomene on the inside of them. It, it just, all of a sudden, they were able to sing praises to God as they were lit on fire. I mean, this is history. And, and so they were like, they called this the queen of graces. They were, they were like, wow, this is different. You know, I mean, this thing rose up in them. It was a gift from God. And the, and the scripture here, and we don't have time to go into it now, but if you read the next couple verses that we, we read at the beginning, it comes back and it talks about how, and the Passion Translation really nails it in verse five, how all of this begins with hope and leads us back to hope. So you can see why in a lot of cases we're not living in the kind of hope that we've been talking about. Probably none of us are to the fullness. I mean, none of us are. But if we don't get these things and understand what's available to us, we'll never live in it. We'll keep living in, well, I hope somebody wins the game today. You know, it's fine to do that. But if that's coloring your week, there's a problem there, okay? If, if the stuff that's happening out here is coloring your entire perspective about life and future and all of that, that's a natural hope. And God has something a whole lot better than that for you. Okay, I didn't get done, but let's stand up and pray. It'd take me another 15 minutes to get done. So we'll let you go. Hope you got something out of that. I did. I'm ready to go out and contend. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Father, just... I just love you. I just love how rich your word is and how good it is. And, and Holy Spirit, we just ask you, you're the one that Jesus sent to be our guide and our counselor and to walk every day with us and bring revelation of the word. So I'm just praying, Lord, go along with us. Holy Spirit, go along with us as coach. Go along with us as counselor as we go out into life and we go out to carry your presence into this valley and beyond. Help us stir up this word some more. Uh, displace those lies in our heart. And we just trust you to work all of that in us so that these truths become the core of who we are and what we live from. And, and we open our hearts totally to you. Displace whatever is a lie and replace it with the truth. Thank you for that transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We're going to be dismissed on the count of three. And we will say, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world. And then you guys go out there and be the church this week. All right. Let's say it. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.